0: What's up, it's your pal Wenchik Estoticus, and this is The Bar is Low. Every episode we take a look at a fanfiction or collection of fanfictions, except when we play naughty hentai games or talk about something serious for once. So a few months ago, I was looking for fics to feature on The Incredibles Addiction of Dixar, which is the series on this podcast where I review porn of Disney and Pixar movies, if you don't know, and I found a fic called Jack Jack Off. Jack Jack is the infant in The Incredibles movie, but the author had the decency, if I can call a that to age him up to be 8 years old. It also happened to be an incest fic in which the older brother Dash coerces Jack-Jack who's too young to know what's going on into sex. Now I don't remember the details cause all I did was skim it but what I do remember was the absolute shit fest in the comments section. There was a thread with the author and a reviewer going back and forth and the reviewer was just going after this guy for writing something so disgusting while the author was insisting that first of all don't like don't read I and mean, it was properly tagged. So you should have known what you were getting into when you clicked on this. And secondly, they were saying that by writing this sort of thing, and giving pedophiles something to jerk it to, they can save children who would have otherwise been victims of people who didn't have anywhere else to channel their urges. Now I didn't buy this for a second, and I'll tell you what I found while researching it, and make it crystal clear. Maybe this is true of some people, maybe after consuming child porn, some pedophiles like the author are satisfied, but there's plenty of evidence to point to the conclusion that on a larger scale, nope, not true. And this seems to be a very common mentality in the world of fandom. It's just fiction. I can write all the child porn and other dark, twisted stuff that I want because no one's getting hurt, right? Well, let's take a look and see how fiction affects our reality, because it absolutely does. Today's fucked up a meter rating, if you couldn't tell already, is a 10 out of 10 for discussions of pedophilia, abuse, rape, incest, all that fun fucking stuff. I did my best, first of all, not to let my emotions get too heavily tangled up in this episode, and second, to keep an open mind and not just go out to confirm my own opinions. Was I completely successful? No, I, I wasn't. I think it's impossible to have no bias and that sometimes you do have to trust your emotions a little. but. Just Just as a little disclaimer, I looked at the facts and the data more than I went with my gut here. This isn't going to be a perfect analysis, but shit dude, I put a lot of effort into these essay type episodes, so hear me out. I also tried to cite credible sources such as scholarly peer-reviewed articles during the parts of the episode where I felt needed it, but for some parts, such as when I explore why people ship incest, I didn't do that. But either way, I'll be listing my sources in order at the end of the episode, so if you want to look further into it, you can. So let's start off with the question of why we like fiction in the first place. Storytelling is universal throughout human cultures, so it must have some purpose. Well, by consuming fiction, we hone our sense of empathy. It allows us to see from others' perspectives and experience life from different ages, genders, races, time periods, places, and lifestyles. We can vicariously experience things we never have the chance to live through ourselves. Fiction also communicates social norms and morals. Stories usually contain some sort of lesson or universal truth meant to teach its listeners about how the world works or how we should act, and fiction can also serve as a form of escapism. Fuck dude, sometimes life just sucks, or it's just boring, so you immerse yourself in someone else's for a while. Why do we like dark stories, though? That sure is an escapism. We have so much fiction with dark themes to explore stuff that we normally wouldn't be exposed to in our daily lives, but fiction gives us the option to tap out at any time. We like to let ourselves be scared or disgusted, but in a controlled and safe environment, where we know we're gonna make it out on the other side alright, hence why you say horror movies are so popular. Dark fiction is still important to learning empathy by allowing us to better understand those who have been through something traumatic in real life. Take abuse, for example. If it's framed in the right way, making us empathize with the victim versus romanticizing the relationship between them and their abuser, then we can really understand what the character's going through, how the ordeal affects them, and the nature of abuse, versus if something was written and framed as torture porn, it just seems to have a lot of graphic and dark content for the hell of it. Additionally, abuse survivors would be able to relate to and empathize with the characters even more, as they may see elements of their own experience in the story. And even though it's fiction, they might end up feeling less alone. Like, hey, this happened to someone else too. Make make them feel better, or it could be upsetting for them to relive their trauma that happened too. It goes either way, and that also happens in fandom all the time with dark stories. So these are mostly good things, positive ways in which fiction affects us in our reality. But let's talk about something more relevant: the negative ways. In which fiction, specifically fandom, impacts us. Fandom can be great in a lot of ways, allowing us to meet other people with similar interests, exercise our creativity through fan fiction and fan art, and we encourage other creators. But it's got its downsides. When fans feel entitled, they can harass actors and content creators and just generally act like assholes. Like, take Marvel, for example. A bunch of fucking adult virgins were like, oh, first an all black cast and now a female superhero. Time to throw a bitch fit. Or the newest Star Wars trilogy. Oh, a black stormtrooper and a female lead. Oh no, I'm a straight white man who thinks he's oppressed for liking nerdy things. And I can't stand the thought of my favorite franchise catering to people who aren't like me. Oh or fans being mad about no national pokedex and pokemon sword and shield so they accuse one of the game's creators of rape man that's low guys you suck there's also a lot of examples of fans harassing each other like shipping wars classic example right there i hope we can all agree that shipping wars are stupid uh let's just say harry and hermione versus hermione and ron that was a popular one nothing inherently wrong with either of those pairings but people still got into shitstorm arguments about it and probably still do in the fucking year of our lord 2019 it's like the fucking protestant reformation or some shit protestants and catholics are both christians with minor differences in doctrine and practices just like people on different sides of shipping wars are fans of the same thing who just think that different people should end up together like you don't understand holy wars until you understand fandom but there is also debate over whether the sentiment don't harass people over their ships should include pairings with incest and pedophilia so, shipping wars are super annoying, but wait, there's more! Take the other classic example of toxic fans when the Steven Universe fandom drove a girl to attempt suicide because she drew a character too skinny and that was apparently a racism of fat representation. So, well-executed fiction can be great and there's a lot we can learn from it, but sometimes we get too worked up about the wrong thing. If you argue that fiction doesn't affect reality, you're lying. Just by participating in fandom, fiction has affected your life and then there's porn porn and fan fiction can definitely have artistic value it can illuminate and explore relationships between characters it can delve into a character's psyche and it can do all of this while you beat your meat porn i think exists in a gray zone that can easily tend towards darker areas in most fandoms of course there's real person fan fiction and writing porn about people who actually exist it's pretty gross and uncomfortable and intrusive and you shouldn't do it but fictional characters, go wild, just knock yourself out because no one's getting hurt, right? Well, I've often made a distinction here on The Barslow Low about tastefully handled dark fic versus porn that exists just for you. The jacket is something really sick and twisted and the line between the two. It depends how it's framed, though I prefer something f- with more depth to it for my leisure time and the blunter more pornographic fics are often more fun for me to cover on the show. I've become less judgmental about people writing whatever they want on whole. The problem is that people draw the line in different places. I draw it around the fic that I talked about in the intro, porn about minors who are t- too young to even know what sex is Well, I'm more tolerant though not exactly approving of other taboo things like incest and adult teenagerships and phantom i think that if they're framed correctly they can have some value to them but i wouldn't personally write them the reader always has the option not to click on something and the author always has the responsibility to tag and label their fic appropriately but that doesn't guarantee safety and neither does censorship but how bad are all these things actually that's what we're here to talk about today so let's outline just the purpose of this episode. So it's obvious to say that the internet's made porn more accessible, and this has in turn affected our culture, normalized a lot of things that were previously taboo. But there are still categories that haven't been made mainstream, or maybe they're more mainstream than we think, that are far from uncommon online. What I want to explore today are dark fics that more often fall on the tasteless side of the spectrum I've outlined, fics that promote problematic ships or other controversial content, especially in porn. And I want to explore what these fics say about their creators and consumers, consumers. I'm going to rely less on my own speculations and more on evidence and expert opinion to come to a conclusion about how fiction affects real life and I want to answer this question. By reading fanfiction or consuming other porn about your darkest and possibly illegal sexual urges, does that satiate your impulse to act out on them in real life or is it the other way around? We've already discussed how fiction affects reality, but how specifically does porn affect our perceptions of and our actions in reality? Here's some more specific questions I want to answer. If you read porn about pedophilia, Are you more or less likely to sexually abuse a child? If you consume porn about women being brutalized or raped, will that affect how you treat them in real life? And what does that say about your sexual desires and if you'll act on them? Do incest shippers want to fuck their relatives? What's the appeal of incest in anyways? There may not be definitive answers to all these questions. The research might not all exist. And the conclusions we come to may not apply to everyone. But we'll explore what's out there and then we'll loop back around to the question of censorship shipping and how we should act in a fandom first let's talk about fantasies and real life sexual activity porn's the middle ground between having sexual fantasies and acting on them albeit much closer to the fantasy side of things because fantasy and porn are so similar It's important to discuss how fantasy affects reality before we delve into the real meat of the episode. Sexual fantasies are a totally normal thing to have, even quote unquote weird sexual fantasies are typical. It's a way of trying to stay sexually satisfied in situations where reality doesn't suffice. Some fantasies do become real, but a lot don't, and for various reasons. There are impossible sexual fantasies, like, you're not gonna be able to fuck Sonic the Hedgehog in real life. Sorry, furries, but that's just how it be. Fantasies can be blocked by moral, legal, and cultural restraints. Maybe you're married, but there was someone else catching your eye. If you're a strong believer in being faithful to your partner, then those fantasies you're having aren't going to stay fantasies and there are things about reality that we can ignore in fantasy. For example, I've had some sexual fantasies about eating ass, but do I really want to tell some salad in real life? Probably not. It would smell bad, and I'm not too keen on the idea of ingesting someone else's shit, even if it's only a little bit. A lot of people don't have any intention of ever carrying out a sexual fantasy of theirs. Another example is a rape fantasy, in which one fantasizes about being coerced into sex doesn't mean that someone actually wants to be raped. She or Ace could be he, too. They still have full control of the fantasy in their head, but it is precisely the loss of control that makes the fantasy entertaining to some people in the first place. And people just like to think of themselves as just so desirable that somebody just has to have them, even if that's by force. And some fantasies are exploratory, people wondering what a certain experience would be like from the safety of their own heads. For instance, straight people sometimes have fantasies about members of the same gender, but they don't necessarily want to try out gay sex. Sex crimes, however, can start off as fantasies. Consider serial killers with sexual aspects to the crimes. You don't follow someone home, rape and kill them, and then get away with it multiple times without having thought about it first. However, it's less about the content of sexual fantasy and more about the, to quote my first source uh, and I'll be listing these in the, at the end, it's more about the, quote, recurrence, intensity, necessity, and the lack of overall diversity that seem crucial to evaluate the risk of acting out. So a normal dude might have a fancy or two about raping someone, among other things but the person who who will act on it is fixated on that one fantasy and they've had it over and over again violent sexual fantasy alone is also not an indicator of future sex crime having psychopathic traits as to the danger that someone will act out so does fantasy something that stays inside your mind really affect reality sometimes But usually, no, it doesn't. It would make sense to assume that fiction, something that started off in your, someone else's head and then ended up on your computer screen, TV or on paper, it would make sense to assume that fiction would have a little more bearing on reality than fantasy. And since it reaches other people as well, it would affect some of them too. So we're gonna talk about three different categories of porn today to see how they relate to reality. And we're gonna start with incest porn. I chose incest, rape, and child porn because I see them a lot and fandom and i've always found them to be the darkest i could have included bestiality here as well but i didn't feel like it was common enough to merit its own section before discussing why some of us like incest let's answer this question why does incest gross us out well incest is associated with abuse rape and inbreeding most incestuous relationships tend to be unhealthy so naturally we're like nah fuck that Incest is taboo in every culture. There's also an evolutionary explanation for why we don't like incest called inbreeding depression. Next minute's just going to be like science words so bear with me. So humans are predisposed to avoid inbreeding because genetic variability is beneficial to survival. Inbred children are more likely to have health and fertility issues due to, I don't know how to pronounce this word, deleterious recessive alleles which are harmful genes that may be carried by most members of a family. If relatives breed with one another those genes build up to produce deformed offspring but when you outbreed, which is just normal breeding like with someone you're not related to dominant traits will continue to mask those genes so the more closely related the parents are the more recessive traits will show up in their kids and the more generations of inbreeding you have the worse this phenomenon gets our aversion to sex with family members is also triggered by growing up with them that's why if you've had step siblings from an early age you're probably grossed out by the idea of having sex with them even though you aren't biologically related or if you've had like a friends since kindergarten you're probably a little repulsed by them in a sexual manner too before we get any further into this i want to say that healthy and consensual incestuous relationships can exist a lot of the time it happens when two people get together sexually romantically first and find out they're related afterwards so the incest aversion response caused by growing up with someone doesn't apply to them or sometimes they did grow up together and they want to get involved anyways sex between consenting adults who am i to say that they can't do it just because i think it's gross for the record though i'm still going to make fun of Insist on the bars low. It's just too fun not to do it but why do we have incest shippers? Why do some people think that relatives fucking each other is hot? And why is Alabama like that? I found this explanation written by an incest shipper, my second source, and it's mostly about why people ship consensual incest between siblings. Leaves out stuff like non-con and parent-child ships, though some of these reasons could apply to those dynamics as well. But even a lot of people who like sibling incest are grossed by parent-child ships because the parent's abusing their power and there's gross age gap. First of all, there's the appeal of forbidden love. Not only do you have the external obstacles of people outside the relationship thinking that you're nasty, but the people actually involved with each other are thinking this is wrong, we shouldn't do this because incest is so taboo. It's also unconventional and breaks up the typical formula of a meet cute. You've got multiple layers of love, like a love onion or something. An ogre is like an onion incest is like an onion i'm never gonna think of shrek in the same way after that thanks internet so you got the obligatory love of family the familial love of when you actually like your family and then platonic love then finally the thirst and the romantic love boyfriends girlfriends and hookup partners may come and go but family is forever and there's also great potential for the confusion of feelings like do i love my family member like regular familial love or do i like them like that a lot of incest ships were going to get shipped anyways even if the characters weren't siblings you're almost guaranteed shippy moments that you can easily interpret as having subtext we're so used to romantic and sexual relationships and fandom that we transfer that dynamic onto people who are related it's just sexualization and it's everywhere of course, then there are the people who ship incest because they want to fuck their cousins or whatever. Or maybe they were victims in real life of incest and it helps them get over their abuse. People also ship non-consensual incest, likely for the same reasons you would ship any other unhealthy relationship. There's an interesting dynamic to explore there, or again, they might have been abused that helps them get over it. Anyway, that's an explanation of all the shippy stuff, like all the romance. But we're here to talk about porn, so let's talk about the motherfucking porn. There is a tendency towards darker ships having more explicit content, which includes incest ships. If you're going to break a taboo, you're going to break that motherfucking taboo. Porn's job has always been to show the forbidden, but we're kind of running out of forbidden stuff. So what's left? There's still incest. Here's a quote from an article in the Cosmopolitan. Not exactly a scholarly article, but it's still my third source. It made sense to me. So here's the quote. It plays into a lot of roleplay and BDSM scenarios. Most incest porn is not playing off an actual desire to have sex with a family member but more like experiencing the intimacy and power dynamics inherent in those kinds of family relationships. For instance, a daddy-girl relationship doesn't mean that those people are attracted to their actual dads or daughters. It can mean that they like the power play of a BDSM relationship but want that kind of caring, unconditional love folded into their sex lives. A parent-child relationship lends more of a sense of nurturing or feeling special to porn that you wouldn't get between, say, a masseuse and their client in a different video. And on top of all that, there's a layer of forbidden sex that adds to the whole thing. A trend that's also popping up in pornos that depict people having illicit sex in public places. Incest roleplay is basically a kink layer cake. So incest porn is popular because of the allure of a forbidden yet very close sort of relationship that includes a lot of different types of love and it doesn't have to be inherently disgusting. So generally I think it's safe to say that incest shippers aren't boning their relatives maybe they don't even want to bone their relatives but i also i think we can blame game of thrones a little bit for the popularity of incest porn just a little bit i'm gonna blame them yeah totally game of thrones ignore everything else i just said it's game of thrones fault All right, so next let's discuss rape. I'm not going to spend that much time on this section because mostly it lays the groundwork for the upcoming section on child porn. So before we specifically get to the porn, let's discuss the cultural context and what we call rape culture. Here's the definition. Rape culture is an environment in which rape is prevalent and in which sexual violence against women is normalized and excused in the media and popular culture See my source for. Some aspects of rape culture include victim blaming. You've heard all these before. What was she wearing? Was she drunk? Yeah, she was just asking for it. Isn't she already a slut? Yeah, she must have wanted it. Rape culture trivializes sexual assault, focusing on how the lives of the perpetrators are going to be ruined if they face charges instead of the consequences that the victim will have to live with. Rape culture teaches women to avoid getting raped instead of teaching men not to rape people in the first place. Men are also victims of rape culture as well as sexual violence against them is even more trivialized than that against women. There's a notion that men can't get raped, especially not by a woman, because men are strong. They're not supposed to be victims. They're supposed to always want to have sex. That's toxic masculinity, baby. And most importantly to our topic today, rape culture is reinforced by gendered violence in the media. So culture informs attitudes about rape. But does it simply make us more permissive of sexual violence or does it encourage us to get out there and perpetrate it? Here's a quote from my fifth source, an article titled, Rape Culture, Victim Blaming and the Role of Media in the Criminal Justice System. While few believe that men see rape on television and immediately decide to assault someone, it is clear that the media's normalization of rape does inform male attitudes about it, given the pervasiveness of its representations of rape. Even a man who is only a moderate consumer of mass media would have difficulty not coming across the subject, and such discourses about rape have the ability to affect and even make way for future actions. Then she follows with this example of how media shapes her perceptions of sexual assault. The way that the media portrays rape is just as important as the frequency of those portrayals, because they are often ill informed. Mainstream media depicts rape in a way that is inadequate and often biased. For example, sexual assault is often depicted as stranger rape despite the fact that 73% of assaults are committed by someone the victim knows. This depiction of rapists as crazed animals who are hypersexual and jump out from behind bushes to attack women at night is harmful because it informs the public's view of who is and who is not capable of committing rape, therefore convincing them that men who do not act in such a way could not have raped someone. Another example of this phenomenon from my online experiences is that a lot of rape porn I've read implies that people enjoy being raped. So many times I've covered fics where midway through the scene, the victim starts to enjoy themselves. Maybe there is some physical pleasure, I don't know. But that doesn't cancel out the overall fucking trauma of being violated like that. Hence in real life we hear the logic that the victim must have wanted it. Or maybe the v- logic that the victim must have wanted it informs this depiction that people are writing. So that leads us to the question of is the media like this because of our pre-existing beliefs or are our beliefs because of the media? And I'm just going to say that culture preceded media because we haven't had mass media for very long. But no matter. What which came first, rape porn and rape culture reinforce each other. Society is already far too tolerant of assault and the depictions of it in the media paved the way for men to enjoy it in pornography. Alright, now we're going to talk about child porn and we're going to talk about it the most because as someone who's been doing this podcast for about a year and a half now, it's the one thing I won't click on because it's just, it's too disgusting even for me. This whole section I'm going to be borrowing pretty heavily from my sixth source, an article called Virtual Child Pornography, The Children Aren't Real But The Dangers Are, Why The Ashcroft Court Got It Wrong. And first of all, we got to answer the question, what is child porn? Well, federal law defines child porn as any visual depiction of minors engaged in sexually explicit acts. Visual is a key word here, and mm, I disagree with that personally. I just have to say, read the shit I read on this show and tell me it's not porn. I fucking dare you. And the visual keyword is there because child porn includes material both where real children were involved in its making and virtual child porn where no children were harmed, but it still poses an indirect danger. A lot of virtual child porn is indistinguishable from porn that uses live actors. However, the Protect Act of 2003 does not explicitly state that images of fictional beings who appear to be under 18 and engaged in sexual acts are rendered illegal. So, illustration of sex of fictional minors, cartoon child porn, that's the legal gray area. Laws vary country by country and state by state. In some places, you can be arrested for lowly and shoda, so deal with it fuckers why is child porn banned i feel like i really shouldn't have to explain this but i'm going to anyways because this is the bar is low child porn is banned because it fucking harms children psychologically and also physically children who are sexually exploited have high rates of self-harm suicide prostitution drug and alcohol abuse they have difficulty forming intimate relationships and they're more likely to become abusers themselves what freedom of speech, you cry out, probably from the liberate quadrant of the political compass, let's be real here, as your right to jerk it to preteens teens getting fucked is trampled upon. Well, I hate to break it to you, but there are a few types of speech that aren't protected by the First Amendment of the Constitution, such as fighting words, blackmail, defamation, solicitation to commit crimes, perjury, true threats, obscenity, inciting eminent lawless action, which is something that we'll get back to later, and child porn. Explicitly not protected. So to bring up framing again, even if the work does have some sort of value, which it rarely does, it it doesn't matter to the child who was involved. It's still harming them. Pretty much any good that may come of letting people express themselves is outweighed by how nasty child porn is and how important it is to protect children. Porn is worse than regular sexual abuse because that shit's on record. Here's a quote from an article called Blocking Child Porn. It isn't about censorship. It keeps children safe, my seventh source that explains it very well quote think for a moment about the most humiliating and degrading moment you've ever experienced think of the desperate helplessness you felt now imagine that someone had managed to capture that moment that image was then spread across the globe so that no matter how far you ran you could never be sure that those you meet did not see it now imagine the scenario for a victim of child sexual abuse whose trauma has been recorded and disseminated for the sexual gratification of others try to comprehend the ongoing harm that victim suffers as long as the image remains available for others to view Their sense of being re-abused again and again and being defined by defilement forever. So catching that abuse on tape, pretty fucked up. Another counter-argument, but violent video games! But the violent omnipresent in entertainment, well, there are different cultural contexts for sex and violence. Violence in mainstream entertainment is normal, and it pretty much always has been. Your ancestors probably went to public executions just for funsies. Jesus got crucified, which is a horrible way to die, by the way, and everyone went and made fan art of it. But sex? Oh, that's that's a big no-no. You can have some graphic violence in a PG-13 movie, but show a woman's nipple in a sexual context? That's an R rating. Say fuck more than once. R rating. Show someone like smoking weed. You guess that's an R rating. Violence is normal. No one cares. We're so desensitized to it. Here's another quote from an article. Love me some quotes. They help me out a lot, and not just for this section. The social context murder fiction is created in is different than the social context of abusive fiction. Do violent video games cause violence? No. Do Americans live in a society that has been violent for centuries so we consume violence as a form of entertainment due to internalizing it? Yes. Is fiction the predecessor to abuse in our society? No. Has abuse been a social norm in our society for centuries so we consume media that glorifies it without batting an eyelash? Yes. The role media plays in cultures of violence is reaffirming the status quo rather than challenging it. which helps maintain the status quo. It becomes a violence affirmation cycle that we perpetuate. This is pointingly different from the view that people absorb all of media's content so if they see violence, they're going to reenact that violence. So the violence we see is not because someone played a first-person shooter game and decided it would be fun to try it in real life. Though violent video games do increase aggression, and aggression does not necessarily always lead to violence, the shootings we keep having nowadays can be traced to people like having access to guns and being white supremacists and mentally unhinged, and not them watching too many horror movies. Additionally, violent people are attracted to violent things, and a lot of violent media just consists of men's power fantasies. Like with rape porn, violent movies, and video games may desensitize us to graphic content and inform our perceptions of their real-life counterparts, but they don't lead directly to crime. So, rape's normal, violence is normal, but is pedophilia normal? It's not as taboo as you might think. Here are some examples of what's called pedophile culture we sexualize kids especially famous ones like underage actors young girls in their teens and preteens often try to look sexy wearing makeup and clothes meant for women much older than them and by the way i'm all for self-expression and girls dressing in ways that make them feel confident but you, you got your whole adulthood to do that enjoy your childhood while it lasts and, and definitely don't dress up for other people's sakes fuck that men favor childlike features in women and to a degree this is an evolutionary development because younger women are more fertile and still have a lot of time left to have babies but you can't say this isn't pushed by society as well. There's a standard of having no body hair and a pressure to stay thin and young looking. Hairlessness is only natural when you're prepubescent anyways, so mm, that's not exactly a pro, but it's biology argument. Maternal complications are a leading cause of death for- 15 to 19 year old girls, cause they're physically not ready to have children, so that's also not a pro, but it's biology argument. A slight age gap between male and female partners with the male being older is universal, natural, and there's nothing wrong with that, but it's common for men, especially wealthy and powerful ones, to date women who are much younger than them. When you reverse that age gap, it's treated like a kink to be attracted to older women. Attractive underage girls are called jail bait, which places the blame on them and not the adults who prey on them. And for fuck's sake, the most popular category on Pornhub is teen. There's probably a lot of teenage boys beating off to that stuff, yeah, so it's fine for them, but I doubt that one age group alone could push a category to the top. Maybe they give it an extra boost, but that's still alarmingly popular among, like, everyone else. And this section also isn't to say that there are only female victims of pedophilia and only male perpetrators, but it is disproportionately that way. So is pedophilia actually that taboo? Putting on teenagers and other young women, eh, I would say it isn't really. But fucking prepubescent children, it still is. A teenager who knows what sex is can consent even if they shouldn't. 18 isn't some magic number, even though our society treats it like that, where on your birthday you magically gain full cognitive capacity and you're as mature as any other adult. But they had to put the legal cut off somewhere teenagers fuck, and teenagers should fuck other teenagers, because even if they've reached the legal age of consent, they don't have the life experience of, say, a 30-year-old. But because teenagers can fuck, some fucking creepy old dudes are like, these kids fuck, we fuck, why not fuck each other? Prepubescent children, meanwhile, do not and should not fuck. That is very taboo and very illegal. If you hear about a four-year-old versus a 14-year-old being sexually assaulted, which scenario produces more disgust? The one involving the four-year-old. I've covered many 14-year-old rapes on my show but i did one fic involving a four-year-old rape and it was the worst thing i've ever had on here there's no way a four-year-old can consent unlike an adult woman or even a teenager who can be raped or two relatives who want bone there's no justification at all let's go back to the article about virtual child porn in the courts and talk about direct versus indirect harm so if your kid being filmed on live porno obviously that's direct harm but child porn can indirectly harm minors as well Pedophiles groom kids with child porn to desensitize them, break down their barriers, and ultimately convince them to engage in some sort of sexual activity. Can a pedophile do that with regular porn? Probably. But seeing someone their age enjoying sex is going to be more effective. So sex isn't seen as an adult thing, it's something they can do too. There's also a strong correlation between child porn charges and molesting kids and I'm just i Honestly I just have to read this section of the paper. Get ready for a lot of numbers and statistics. Y'all fandom creeps need to hear this shit. So here we go, this is a long quote, so. Brace yourselves. Exact percentages vary, but experts have come to a general conclusion that there is, in fact, some link between viewing child pornography and sexually molesting children. A study by the New Zealand Internal Affairs suggested that there was an association between viewing child pornography and committing child sexual abuse. A New York Times article in 2007 discussed a new controversial government study of convicted internet offenders. The research was carried out by psychologists at the Federal Bureau of Prisons and found that many men who claimed to be just looking at pictures could, in fact, be predators. In the study, 155 male inmates, all serving sentences for possession or distribution of child pornography, had volunteered for the 18-month treatment program at the Federal Correctional Institute in Butner, North Carolina. More than 85% admitted to abusing at least one child, compared to the 26% that were known to have done so at the time of sentencing. The psychologists who who conducted the study concluded that many internet child pornography offenders may be undetected. Child molesters and one convicted pedophile serving a 14-year sentence said that viewing child pornography gave him no release from his desires, but instead the exact opposite furthering the sentiment that some men convicted of sexually abusing children had their urges fueled by child pornography. The pedophile was interviewed and quoted as saying, There's no way I can look at a picture of a child on a video screen and not get turned on by that and want to do something about it. I knew that in my mind. I knew that in my heart. I didn't want it to happen, but it was going to happen. Although that controversial study put the number at 85%, most other studies have put the correlation rate in the 40% range. 40% of people charged with child pornography also sexually abuse children, but finding the predators and identifying the victims are daunting tasks. A 2000 study issued by the Federal Bureau of Prisons found that 76% of offenders convicted of internet-related crimes against children admitted to contact sex crimes with children previously undetected by law enforcement and had an average of 30.5 child sex victims each according to the mayo clinic of the usa studies and case reports put that correlation rate between child pornography and child molesting between 30 and 80 percent during one study the majority of men who had been charged with or convicted of child pornography offenses showed pedophilic profiles on phalometric testing And here's a word about phallometric testing from the footnotes. Clinicians and researchers use phallometry to quantify the sexual interests of sexual offenders against children. A meta-analytic review of 61 sex offender follow-up studies found that phallometrically assessed sexual arousal of children was the strongest predictor of subsequent sexual offenses among all the variables that were examined. Continuing with the rest of the quote Our results indicate that child pornography Offending is a valid diagnostic Indicator of pedophilia Child pornography offenders were significantly More likely to show a pedophilic pattern Of sexual arousal during phallometric Testing than were comparison Groups of offenders against adults or General sexology patients A 1987 report by the USA National Institute of Justice said That there was a disturbing correlation between Viewing child pornography and sexually abusing children From January 1997 through March 2004, 620 of the 1,807 child pornographers that were arrested. Approximately 34% were confirmed child molesters. The the United States Postal Inspection Service, which compiles data based upon evidence derived from child pornography, crime scene investigations, and police reports, found that at least 80% of purchasers of child pornography were active abusers and nearly 40% of the child pornographers investigated during the last few years had sexually molested children in the past. Internet crimes against children task forces in states such as Pennsylvania and Texas found that 51 and 32%, respectively, of individuals that were arrested for viewing child pornography were also molesting children or had done so in the past, further confirming the positive correlation between the possession of child pornography and the commission of crimes against children. Ooh, so that's a lot of studies, and I doubt that they're perfect. What about all the people who never got caught for child porn? What about the people who can't get arrested for it? Because what they look at doesn't quite fit legal definitions of child porn, but definitely is child porn like, uh, I don't know, fan fiction. It's always important to remember not to rely on the fallacy that correlation equals causation, which in this case would be that child porn causes statutory rape. Both things are caused by just being a fucking pedophile, I think and that anecdotes aren't scientific. But all these studies arrived at a common conclusion that there is a correlation. If you consume child porn, it's not unlikely that you're also a child molester. So what about all those people on the internet who write or draw porn of minors? They could be child molesters. If someone calls themselves not offending, meaning that they haven't broken the law and molested a kid, do you really have a way to tell if they'll stay that way? Do you really have a way to tell if they were non-offending in the first place? Some minor attracted people, or MAPS for short as they like to be called, are looking forward to the day when they can come out of the closet and be proud of their identity. They think their experience is like that of the LGBT community. Yeah, get fucked. Yeah, I get it. No one chooses to be a pedophile. If you avoid children, aren't supporting the child porn industry, know that your attraction's wrong, you're seeking help, and you never molest anyone, good for you, keep it up, you're doing great. But a lot of pedophiles aren't like that. I'm not a parent, nor do I ever plan on being one, but if someone spent a good chunk of their spare time writing or consuming porn of children, even if they said they'd never actually act on those impulses, would you let them watch your kid? I know I wouldn't. Oh, I know I watch a lot of videos of cats and dogs being tortured and killed online and I write out my detailed fantasies about all the ways I like to kill them myself, but I would never actually hurt an animal. Yeah, I think I'm going to find someone else to watch my cat while I'm away on vacation because you're not getting near her. Virtual child porn is also capable of inducing the same types of indirect harm as live porn, that's why they decided to make it illegal along with the live porn with real actors. Just because it's virtual, that also doesn't make it more meaningful or valuable. It still isn't protected under freedom of speech. That's not me talking, that's the law. Lastly, the article talks about inciting eminent lawless action and the Brandenburg v. Ohio court case. This is relevant today also beyond just what we're talking about with porn, because you can apply it to. Nazis and the American epidemic of white supremacist gun violence. So during this case a portion of a KKK speech was played in which they made hateful remarks about Jews and black people. Most people don't have radical views and therefore wouldn't be affected by the speech so it's protected by the first amendment but if you play a speech that says go out and kill some black people to a room full of KKK members people who already hold radical views then you're inciting eminent lawless action and that speech is not protected because those are the sort of people who might actually listen to that call to action, follow through on it or take the only in the panhandle Trump speech from a few months ago. He asked how to get rid of immigrants and someone shouted out, hey, why don't we shoot him? And Trump, he didn't exactly disapprove of that idea, judging by how he reacted. Who's listening to that speech? Trump supporters, who let's be real, are racist and white supremacists. sorry, not sorry. So what happens a few months later, someone goes out and shoots Hispanics cause Trump said so. That's inciting eminent lawless action. So if you show child porn to a general audience, just like if you're gonna show that panhandle speech to a general audience, or the KKK speech to a general audience, all those people would be disgusted. But who's watching that shit? The target audience pedophiles are the ones consuming child porn. A regular person isn't going to go out and molest kids if they saw a video of a 9 year old sucking dick, but a pedophile might, and that's why child porn is illegal, because the people it's meant for are the ones who are by far the most likely to act on their urges. Okay, so I hope that we can all agree that in an ideal world, there'd be no rape or child molestation or even porn or those things. But is censorship the solution? Does it really work? Also let me make it clear that censoring something meant for adults just because a kid might stumble upon it, that should not be condoned. When you try to censor something that there's so much of, you can't have people combing the internet and hoping to catch every single pedophile out there. You have to use an algorithm, which usually doesn't work very well. Take the Tumblr porn ban in December 2018, for example. Fuck, dude, that was a disaster. It flagged totally innocuous things like sand dunes, classical art, and raw chicken because they happen to be flesh-colored. It even tagged, like, a Christmas-themed edit of the cover art of this podcast. What the hell? And still people find ways around the ban. Porn busts still fucking follow me on Tumblr even though porn is banned there. So legalizing something drives the market underground makes it harder to detect. Even if you ban the websites that host child porn, people will send it to each other through private channels. They'll find loopholes like drawing porn to fictional minors or writing fanfiction. So whether or not you support it, we're talking about this issue today because censorship is rarely, if ever, completely effective. The people who really want to find stuff are gonna still find it. However, it does work when it's aimed at stopping people from, say, stumbling across an image, getting intrigued, and searching for more. God, I wish someone had done that for me in fanfiction. If you never see child porn, then you might never find out you're a pedophile. The sexual fantasies you have will stay in your head and no one will get hurt. So, if censorship doesn't work, then what will? there is no easy solution to that because society's gonna have to change. We have to work against pedophile culture, male entitlement, the media, the nature of the internet, loopholes in the law, stigma against mental disorders, I could go on. There's no fun way to put it so I'm just gonna say outright that probably nothing's gonna change and there's still gonna be an epidemic of child porn online and child abuse and abuse in general and just shit like that. But what you can do personally though, is to be aware of how fiction affects reality. If you see a bad ship or some other problematic content in your fandom, don't immediately recoil in horror and harass the author. Consider how the work is framed and what the authorial and or artistic intent is. You can even ask some questions if you're not clear. Authors fucking love that shit. But you also have every right to be wary. There are a lot of predators and other shitty people out there, and a lot of them are not fandom because erotic... Fan fiction and sexual depictions of fictional minors are still legal, so it's a safe zone for them. Along with the mentality that it's fiction, it doesn't hurt anyone, there's another mentality that if something is even a little problematic, you're not allowed to like it. Whether that's because the creator did something wrong, let's say they made some, I don't know, anti-Semitic comments, or if the issue is embedded within the media itself, let's say that the characters in the show make anti-Semitic comments. Those can both be reasons why someone will throw a fit. You're never gonna be able to find media that's completely ideologically pure. Something bad is gonna get mixed in there somewhere along the way, so you just gotta deal with it. So as I may have already implied, some people take the idea too far that if a piece of media or if its creators seem to espouse harmful views, you should reject their work. And these people are fucking annoying. Like, just let people live their lives, to a degree. Just because anti-shippers or whatever we're calling them anyway, If just because they're annoying, that doesn't mean you're right. And you should ship a 500-year-old demon with a 14-year-old child. You know, even if that demon's in the body of a teenager or something, that's fucking gross and I have the right to be wary of you. Depending on how your work is framed, my stance has always been that if you know and acknowledge that something's fucked up and you avoid letting it affect you and your behavior as best you can, then that's fine. Now, firmly with the exception of child porn, especially porn for prepubescent children. Otherwise, read it, write it, consume it, and enjoy it. Child porn, however, that you had a hand at creating could end in trauma for some poor kid somewhere. I'm not talking about them accidentally stumbling upon it. I'm talking about a pedophile who uses it to whet their sexual appetite and ends up with rape. Porn can be an addiction and like with drugs, you might need more and more every time to set Satisfy your needs, and one day, only the real thing becomes good enough. Or someone uses it to groom a child and break down their sexual barriers. The stuff on fan fiction websites is easy to access, and written child porn is still legal. But the same logic applies to why virtual child porn is banned. Child porn is bad, you guys. If you try to fight me on this, you're gonna be ignored. Fucking shit, the bar is low. But do I think you're a bad person if you have some deviant sexual interests? No, I don't. Don't try to put words in my mouth. For instance, I understand incest shipping a lot better after this episode. Do I think that you need to be reported to the authorities if your taste in porn are a little violent? No, I don't. People that argue, oh, it's just fiction, tend to claim that aunties can't tell fiction from reality, but they neglect how fiction does, in fact, affect reality. And am I trying to act holier now? It's over, AO3, I have the moral high ground. No. I'm not trying to do that. I simply read the comments on a fanfiction and got curious if the author's claims were true. I was open to the possibility that they were and they turned out largely not to be. Really all I'm saying with this episode is that we should think critically about what's out there and what we consume, media, fandom, and porn. Does that really sound so bad? Alright, that's all I got. I'm going to list my sources, and I'm going to sign out. 1. Sexual Fantasy by Christian Joyle. 2. 26 Reasons Why We Ship Siblings by Shipsestuous. 3. What's Up With the Rise of Incest Porn by Cosmo Frank. 4. Rape Culture by Marshall University Women's Center. 5. Rape Culture Victim Blaming and the Role of Media in the Criminal Justice System by Lily Thacker. 6. Virtual Child Pornography. The Children Aren't Real what The Dangers Are. Why the Ashcroft Court Got It Wrong by Brian Goldblatt. 7. Blocking child porn isn't about censorship. It keeps kids safe by I don't know how to fucking pronounce this woman's name. DR D Dre? D-E-I-R-D-R-E. Clune and Julian Van Turnhout. Eight. One hundred five Critical Issues in Fiction versus Reality Fandom by Cat. Exclamation point. This was a really helpful article just in general, not for the one little section that I cited it for. It talks a lot about survivors, a lot more than I did. And lastly, nine, you've heard of rape culture, but have you heard of pedophile culture by Alison Gray? The Bar's Low is on Instagram. You can find us at The Bar's with an underscore in between each word. Follows You know what's coming up next. If you have a fix to suggest, feel free to get in contact with me. And if you want to drop a rating or review on iTunes, that'd be real cool. Not gonna beg you for five stars. Give me however many damn stars you think I deserve. And as always, I'm your pal Wenchistodicus. This is The Bar's Low. Thank you for joining me, and that's all for today.